Hello, everyone. Hello, my name's Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hodson. And welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast, our weekly show where we'll be chatting to guests from around the world about issues around HIV and COVID-19. Yep, and we've got a fantastic lineup of guests for you this week. We have uh, international activist and sex bomb, uh, Bruce Richmond. Uh, he's one of the founders of the Prevention Access Campaign uh, in New York. And if you've heard the expression U equals U, it's probably something to do with him because he made it his mission in life to make sure that every person living with HIV knows that when they are on effective treatment and a virus is suppressed to undetectable levels, they can't pass the virus on to their sexual partners, which is... U equals you. It's such a liberating, fantastic message, and it has been picked up around the world. But not only that, we also have one of the top HIV doctors in the UK, Dr. Rageshri Dharawan, um, and she will be talking to us today about some of the racial disparities that we have seen with COVID-19. And that's going to be a really interesting discussion. She wrote a fantastic article about it, which I do urge people to look at. But Wait till you hear hear her because she's also fantastic. (laughs) And not only that, wait, there's more. We have uh, Ian Green. Uh, He's the chief executive of Terence Higgins Trust, the UK's largest HIV charity. He's also a really great friend of mine, lovely guy. But earlier this year, he got struck down by COVID and he had a rotten time on it. So it's going to be really interesting to hear his perspective on coronavirus too. So it's a great show today. Wonderful. Are you not saying that Ian's a sex bomb as well, Matthew? Well, I, I would say that, but you know, I, I, it just it makes it kind of awkward between us if I kind of go into that kind of thing. So I try and avoid it. I think he knows. I think he knows really. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, but we'll avoid it. How are you feeling today, Susan? I am fine. Today is um, quite a special day. It's my son James's twenty. 20- sixth birthday and it's 26 no you're kidding me how old were you when you had him well yeah well obviously about five but yeah that makes sense obviously yeah i'm from croydon so (laughs) not that that not that surprising but it's it's very strange because it's the first birthday that i'm not actually with him because of the lockdown so that's really peculiar and a little bit sad Um, But I would like to raise an issue that's very important to him because it's his birthday. Um, He works for the advocacy organisation Stop AIDS. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they're working on at the moment, as always, is equitable access to treatment um, for people. Um, And earlier in the week, there was a global summit um, about COVID-19. And um, it's great that lots of money, I think 6.5 billion has been pledged towards COVID-19. But what I think is really important is that we ensure that any money raised goes towards treatment um, for COVID and any potential vaccine, that it's available to everyone in the world, no matter where they live. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things as we talk about vaccine development and you know the, the idea that this is going to be a real game changer in terms of lockdown and all of those issues and then you look at what's happened with hiv considering it has been uh 20 
24 years now since 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 we've had effective treatment almost mm -hmm. um and we still got a third of the world's population who are living with hiv have not got access to treatment and so that makes you and inevitably the people the countries the regions where treatment access is lower are those nations which are poorer and it's that it's that worrying thing is that health isn't health if it's only for the rich um absolutely uh, i mean I, I i guess the thing that i've been thinking about also this week is it, it's some of the kind of narrative around kind of looking at the number of covid deaths and then you can start comparing country to country and you know that's been a very hot topic in the uk this week because tragically uh, the uk is now the the country in europe with the highest number of recorded covid deaths yeah. um i think we're is that right we're the second highest in the world just behind i believe um, so just the after US. the usa yes yeah um but i would say that you know i mean when i, I obviously i work for i work for that excellent organization NAM, and we produce aids map and we look at the, the data a lot and the difference in surveillance between countries is is enormous and with covid we're talking about a new condition so there aren't mm -hmm. the processes in place now i don't know what the final figures will be but the, the, the truth is we probably won't know how the countries really stack up against each other for weeks maybe months mm -hmm. um and even then it may still not be accurate i mean you know in the uk at least we have mainly computer reporting so it's much faster in some countries it's still on paper um, and in some countries they're just not going to record it at all i think the thing which we're going to really need to watch out for is what's the increased death rate because there are going to be a lot of deaths which are mm -hmm. as a result of other factors not not covid in itself um and you know i mean i've been hearing from friends and colleagues in sub-saharan africa in particular uh, where there's not access to food and you know they are reporting that their friends are starving um, mm -hmm. because they're under lockdown they're unable to put food on their plates and you know this is going to be the huge death toll that we see as a result of covid yes. um, it's quite quite sobering and quite difficult sometimes absolutely um, so I'm going to cheer myself up by bringing a sex bomb onto the show. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only way. Um, I, hope, I hope he's there. <laughs> oh, it's Bruce. <laughs> it's sex bomb. Takes, it takes a sex bomb to know a sex bomb. But I, I, I only do to embarrass you. <laughs> How are you, Bruce? How are you doing? Doing well, doing well, considering, and actually really happy to be here and connected to you guys. Um, this is this panel is amazing. You know, friends and leaders in the field, and not just leaders in the field, but also in the U equals U movement. So, uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for all that you have done. I mean, I know that you are also in in touch with people, you know, all around the world because you, you know, the U equals U message has become incredibly international. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about it is you see how different countries take it up and adapt it and make it their own. But one of the core elements of U equals U for me is it underlines the importance of treatment access, and that's something yeah. which is really challenging right now. What 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 are you hearing on the ground about that? 
Well, I mean, in, in, in the best of times, we know that treatment access, the social structural economic barriers make it difficult or impossible for people to get access to treatment. Uh, but now, you know, obviously it's made even worse. And um, uh, our organization, Murray Penner, my colleague, has been working around the clock to try to help people in the United States um, get access to treatment and care. For instance, some folks are are stuck in other states because they don't have the funds to get home or there's travel restrictions. So he's been connecting them to, to services and programs um, as well as people who are out of the country, I mean, or, or from out of the country in, in the United States and are, are stuck without it. But we're also hearing from our partners in uh, LGBT center in Wuhan, China, that they're still struggling. We supported them in the very beginning um, and getting uh, treatment uh, folks were, were riding in, in bicycles and, and trying to circumvent the, the travel restrictions to get people treatment. Um, and the same thing, as you mentioned, in sub-Saharan Africa, we've heard from Love to Love organization that, that people are struggling just to get basic needs, let alone uh, treatment or diagnostics. And they're, 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 they're starving. They can't get the, the food support. So it's, it's, it's very concerning and, um, uh, and, 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 and troubling to us, but we are seeing a lot of, a lot of movement, especially among young people in Uganda to, to take the initiative and go out and help people get the support. Um, Bruce, uh, obviously in, in America, I mean, you know, we've, I was just saying that the UK is now second highest in terms of reported deaths uh, as a result of COVID. Um, but the US is, is, is is has still been the highest figure reported so far and new york has been at the center of that um how do you think new yorkers are feeling right now and, and with the president talking about easing lockdown restrictions i mean do you think new yorkers are ready to come out of lockdown or um i think people are, are you know are really frustrated and and it's tired and, and and there's there is lockdown fatigue but it's it's really it's not reasonable to think that we will be out of lockdown anytime soon. I mean, you know, there's 75,000 reported deaths in the United States and, and 21,000 in New York City alone. So um, with the governor's proclamation that he's going to be opening up the, the state on May 15th, that's going to start upstate. Um, and it's going to start with manufacturing and construction activities, but it's going to take a while for, for the city to, to start opening up. Um, and, and, you know, as you're probably seeing there, we're seeing a lot of creativity and ingenuity and, and ways that people are still connecting to each other and, and, and you know, and feeling that bond, um, you know, online book clubs and dance parties and um, all sorts of meditations online and, 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 and still being able to go to some parks and social distance. So we're, we're getting through it, but not going to be open for a while. And one last question for you, Bruce. What are you looking forward to the most when we're finally out of lockdown? <laughs> what am I looking forward to for real? For a family no. audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, H hugs, a lot of hugging. I, I don't even remember almost what it feels like to be hugged or to hug someone. Um, so a lot of hugging and that kind of, you know, breaking the physical barrier when we, when we can with as many people <laughs> that I love that I, that I can. And I'll, I want to hug you both as soon as yeah, possible. I mean, what, the... I'm, I'm there for it. I'm there for it. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bruce. Look forward to seeing you Thank in person at some point. Big hug. The better. Big hug. Bye-bye. Thanks right. for having me. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah.
oh gosh, I do miss hugging. I, I went out the other day and um, I just bumped into some friends who were cycling and we stood at, you know, kind of three meters apart and had a bit of a conversation. And then afterwards, after they'd gone, after they cycled off, I just like wanted to burst into tears because I was just like, I normally would have hugged them and I, I couldn't. And it's just like, it's so hard. It's Absolutely. I, I'm really missing hugging and I'm really missing McDonald's as well. You're just trying to get some sponsorship or something, aren't you? <laughs> You're just going to wake up tomorrow morning and you'll be like, yeah, just like bring me the free McDonald's, of Big Macs on on your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, oh. uh, I, I love Maryland cookies. Um, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, something that's really struck me a lot in the news um, today, more than anything, was the fact that um, black people in the UK are. Is it four times more four likely? Times, four times more likely to die as a result of COVID. Right. Yeah. And that's absolutely shocking and, and very worrying. But I think we know someone that can share some insights on that. So welcome, Rageshri. Hi. Rageshri. Hi. Thanks so much Thank for joining you. us. Thank, Thank you for you. inviting me. This is really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's really brilliant to have you. I mean, I, I was really surprised. Um, I mean, even though I had an idea about this data, but nevertheless, it was it was really shocking um, to see that death rate. So um, black and brown people are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. But are we also seeing like trends in other disease areas? And, and what do you put that down to? So I think, um, yeah. I think COVID is just really highlighting um, kind of disparities in health that we're seeing in other disease areas already. So I think we already know that in other disease areas, there are lots of racial health disparities. And just with COVID, it's being highlighted for it really quickly and really obviously. Um, so, for example, when we think about sexual health and HIV, there have been kind of racial disparities um, for a long time, um, which have not changed much. So, for example, we know that in the UK, um, people from um, black and other minority ethnic groups are more likely to be diagnosed late with HIV. Um, so that's an example of, a, of an HIV disparity that we know about. Absolutely. And, and also in relation to women living with HIV, I mean, one thing that we're hearing a lot about at the moment is an increase in, in domestic violence. Um, are you finding that women living with HIV are at increased risk worldwide um, from gender-based violence? Yeah, um, so I think in terms of kind of now looking at gender inequalities, we know that actually living with HIV means that people are more likely to be at risk of experiencing domestic abuse. Um, for example, we know from global surveys of women that they may be two to three times more likely to experience domestic abuse, especially from a partner, um, than the general population. Um, and we know that in itself, domestic abuse can be a risk factor for getting HIV. So I think we are seeing more, um, we're certainly hearing reports of more domestic abuse during COVID. I think the Metropolitan Police is, I think they're getting 100 calls a day yeah. about it. Um, but it's really important to know that there are lots of services. Um, right. So, for example, there um in the UK, we've got charities like Refuge that have a 24-hour domestic helpline. If people are worried about being in immediate danger, they can call 999. Um, and some of the websites have some good safety tips as well about being at home. Um, and it's not only women, of course, that experience domestic abuse. Absolutely. We know that, um, especially in trans um, communities, are very high rates experienced. And amongst uh, relationships, especially with men who have sex with men, we see high rates as well. 
Yeah. Uh, as well as um, you know, people who are stuck with their families. I mean, often young LGBT people uh, yeah. may may not be ex actually accepted by their parents, but are now having to be in close proximity to them. And some of those people are not safe. I will just quickly big up the work of the Albert Kennedy Trust, who um, have been doing some phenomenal work in that uh, area. Um, Rageshri, I was, I, was, I was wanting to ask you about HIV services because I, I know that a lot of HIV doctors have been redeployed um, during this crisis. Um, so how are HIV services coping? So I think we're coping fairly well. Um, we had to, we've had to make some changes really quickly, but I think we've had some good um, guidance from Beaver, for example. Um, so what we really had to do is to make sure that um, we're making our services safe for patients and for staff. So reducing face-to-face -face appointments, making sure people have enough medications. And although we are being redeployed, so I was redeployed to a COVID ward last month, we still have lots of staff who are seeing patients um, and I did a, a wall round of our HIV inpatients last week. And, you know, we're still seeing things coming in like opportunistic infections. Um, so it's really important that if people feel unwell or they need medical advice or they're worried about their mental health, for example, that they contact their HIV clinic um, or come to hospital if they need to, because we still want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so important. Thank you so much, Rukeshri. It's so yeah. lovely to talk to you. That's brilliant, and hopefully we'll see you soon in the real for a real hug. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So, I mean, it's quite interesting talking about kind of you know, provision of sexual health services um, in in the UK, uh, 5016 Street, the Europe's largest HIV clinic, um, has been doing a big push on trying to get people to test, saying, well, you know, everyone's having most people are having fewer sexual partners or maybe some people are having the same number of sexual partners because they're just not having much sex in a way or whatever um but a lot of people who previously were having a lot of sexual partners a large proportion of those may not be having sexual partners anymore and because of the window period of hiv testing this could be a real opportunity to kind of get everyone tested and so that you know we could come out of lockdown and everyone who has undiagnosed hiv could become diagnosed could then go on to treatment and you know bruce would kill me if i didn't say uh when you're on treatment you don't pose the transmission risk to your sexual partners you equals you uh can't pass it on in fact which is um relating to our next guest because uh in the uk we also we also used the expression can't pass it on and that was uh part of a really excellent tht campaign and we have the big boss himself ian green <laughs> ceo of terence higgins trust Nice to see you both. Thanks for having me. Hi, Sex Bomb. How are you? Yeah, I'm a good Sex Bomb. <laughs> um, so, Ian, I mean, you, you you actually had COVID yourself. You you were the first person I know who got struck down by it. How? I mean, also, you're open about living with HIV. I mean, were, how how scary was that? Yeah, I think to begin with, not not so scary. I mean, that both my husband and I came ill on the. Fourteenth uh, of March um, started with a uh, a cough, then um, uh, fevers, um, and uh, I think the thing about this this virus, in our experience, it lulls you into this false sense of you're getting better, and then suddenly it comes in a wave and hits you again, and suddenly you then start to feel really poorly again. So we we were unwell for about three weeks in total. Um, it got really scary um, when it affected our breathing, and that's when uh, I started to 
panic a bit. And if you're struggling with breathing, panicking is the worst thing to do. Um, but it was uh, a, a real challenge uh, for, for one weekend when there was some thought of me having to go into hospital. So I'm pleased that didn't need to happen. So it was scary. In terms of my HIV, I was less concerned because of the guidance that came out from uh, the British HIV Association of somebody uh, with a good immune system with an undetectable viral load should have no uh, worse outcome than somebody who's not HIV positive. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I mean, this is something which I I'm getting the whole time people just like contacting me and saying, oh, I've got HIV. And then it isn't help because the government or, or yeah. you know, emails and texts were sent to people saying oh you need to self-shield when actually they didn't and it was just a bit of the algorithm going wrong so i think it's really important that we say that it to people living with hiv that unless there are other reasons why you need to self-shield i.e if you're over the age of 70 or even over the age of 60 you might want to consider it but uh or if there are other underlying health conditions but if you are living with hiv on treatment healthy have are virally suppressed then there's no need to take additional precautions other than the precautions we should all be taking, which is reduced amount of time you're going out, wash your hands, don't touch your face. He says, wanted to touch his face terribly. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Matthew. I think it's about making sure that, you know, that our view as an organisation is, you know, follow the guidance that coming out from Public Health England and from the government. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really clear, and from the British HIV Association, it's really clear that, as you say, that somebody with a good immune system is HIV positive, there's no additional risk. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And to, to bear in mind that many of our viewers are from all around the world. Exactly. So people just need to uh, follow the guidance for their uh, local area. Absolutely. Really important, Susan. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I think that one of the things which we're also talking about and thinking about quite a lot is the the other costs of COVID, yeah. um, and you know what it, it also all all sectors are being affected, and you know we don't know when or when restaurants will reopen or if we don't know when theatres will reopen or if we don't know when football stadiums will reopen or if, and you know we know that the world into which we emerge is going to be quite different and one of the other real concerns and i guess this must be a concern for you as the chief executive of a charity is what's happening to the charitable sector i mean i see a lot of charities are really struggling right now because their income sources are being cut off entirely um, or are being diverted um, because funders are now wanting to go into covid and we may see a cost how are you dealing with that as chief executive at THT? Yes, it's a real challenge for many charities and, and for THT. I mean, the, it's estimated that the charitable sector overall in the UK uh, over the next uh, three months is going to be about £4.2 billion impact, a, a loss of what they would normally get through fundraising activities. Uh, THT has two sources of funding from statutory services, which uh, currently are unaffected, and then from our fundraising activities. And we raise about six million pounds a year from fundraising activities. And we think that's going to be impacted probably by about 40 percent. So that means we're going to have to do less. Um, uh, and uh, we really think for us, it's important that we protect our staff uh, as best we can during this difficult period. But it's going to have a real impact. Government have announced some funding about uh, just uh, 750 million pounds, but that's going to go nowhere near to meet the shortfall in many charities' uh, financial situations over the next uh, 12 months or so. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I mean, the 
you know, there's so there's so much that is tragic about the whole situation we're in. Um, but I, I mean, I just I, for my own part, there was a project which uh, Nam was going to be doing. We we, we had a funder who had agreed yeah. to to fund it, uh, working with trans people, uh, trans people's HIV prevention needs, and it was it was a great project. And then we just got an email this morning saying the funder said. Um, actually, we have to. We, we're diverting all of our funding into COVID, and obviously, that's really important too. Um, but you know, you're just going to go. I was so wanting to work, do do work with this community, and you know, people got so excited, and we we're talking to trans activists, and they were so excited about the project, and now it's just yeah, it's gone. And there's a whole thing about focusing on the current challenges, but also I want the charitable sector to be resilient and strong in the next 12, 18, 24 months to respond to the uh, the fallout from COVID. It's yeah. so important that we've got a really strong civil society that can respond and can challenge uh, and can make sure the voice of people aren't lost within that response. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's your message um, for THT uh, regarding sexual health? at the moment through this crisis. So, so guys, you know that THT is probably one of the most sex positive organizations. It's been <laughs> in our DNA uh, in the for almost 40 years that Terence Higgins Trust has been in existence. We've been exceptionally sex positive. Uh, and it really is a real challenge for us to be saying at the moment, uh, no hookups. Um, and actually it's really important in the current environment uh, just to think about um, uh, if you're going to have sex, have sex with somebody within your own household. Um, so your, your 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 sexual partner, if you you live with with somebody, um, uh, or, or to think about other ways of have, having sexual uh, pleasure um, during lockdown, um, and so that's been a a real shift in emphasis for us as an organisation, and uh, for us to say it was uh, a real challenge to get that across, but it's so important. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm trying to remain as sex positive as possible, but I just do it by, by the medium of selfies. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> you do that very well. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Ian, fantastic to talk to you as always. Take care you of guys. yourself. Wonderful. Happy you to see you soon. soon. Bye. 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 Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. <laughs> Brilliant guess. <laughs> was it? Was it yeah, no, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you. So thank you to our guests. Thank you, uh, Ian. Wonderful. It's great to have you. Bruce, always a pleasure. Rageshri, amazing to have you on the show. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, <laughs> so who do we have on next week? Matthew? Next week, next week we have uh, my colleague, Kevin Fenton. He is wow. now the London lead for Public Health England. So he has, and he's literally just gone into that role. Imagine starting that job at this time. Uh, we also have, um, I'm going to refer to her as the beautiful story. The beautiful story that is Doreen Mora Maracha. She is a oh. HIV stigma warrior, battling stigma in Kenya. And we have a member of parliament. We have Lloyd Russell Moyle. He was the first UK MP to disclose his HIV status in a parliamentary speech, which he did, was it last, well, they say, was it? Yeah, the one before that. The one before that. It was momentous. He is a fantastic speaker. If you're not someone who's hooked to the Parliament channel like I am and you haven't seen him speak, he is just brilliant, so smart, so sharp, um, kind of cute as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're very excited to have everyone on. And I think we've now run out of time.
Oh, such a shame. Oh. It's been lovely. All right. Thank okay. you so much. Um, see you and, next and week. See you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast on Apple, Acast, iTunes or Spotify. We hope you can join us again next week.